0: Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. It's surprising at first. For all of the potential disruption in the energy industry, for all of the potential profits that can be made by doing things better and more efficiently in the energy industry, we don't see that many energy startups. And as it turns out, there are good reasons for this. Generating and storing electricity at scale requires skills that can't be supplanted by new technology and innovation. Furthermore, most energy projects are long-term, low-risk, medium-return projects that are just not attractive to venture capital. These projects require a different kind of financing. One notable exception, however, is Japan's Shizen Energy, who is bringing a lot of renewable energy onto the grid in Japan and around the world as well, and they're doing it as a startup. In just a minute, we'll sit down with Kenny Sono, Shizen Energy's founder and CEO, and he'll explain how his little startup has worked with local governments and fought the incumbents to bring enough renewable energy onto the grid that Shizen energy is not so little anymore. We'll talk about that growth, of course, and we also take a deep dive into the current state and the future prospects of the most important renewable energy technologies in Japan. But you know, Ken tells that story much better than I can, so let's get right to the interview. So I'm sitting here with Ken Nisono of Shizen Energy and thanks for sitting down with me.
1: Thanks for the, the chance to speak.
0: Now Shizen Energy, you guys are a vertically integrated renewable energy company. You guys do generation, you know, financing and, and the retail side as well. Yeah. That's a lot for a, a startup to do. <laughs> we, we started with
1: solar. But the three co-founder used to work in wind power generation company together for five years.
0: What made you guys decide to, to leave that company and start your own project?
1: So actually, the Shiden Energy we found this company um, 2011 June. So it's three months after Fukushima accident. Ah. Before that, there was no like demand from. The market from policy in, in, in renewables, but we knew that it's going to change.
0: So at first, you were focused on large-scale solar projects. Was it just the financing, the construction? What? Yeah. So we knew that this is very
1: capital-intensive business, and it's really difficult for the startups to sustain the business. Right. right. Yeah, you have to keep on, you know, financing all the time. So our strategy was be in the renewable business but uh, start with a service started with a development of project we also created epc it's uh, engineering construction procurement construction it's basically the the construction of the large scale solar pv
0: okay well let's let's walk through what yeah. an early project was like so were you using investors capital to build these plants or were you out did you yeah. fundraise for each individual project so we, we found the
1: investor for the asset. Mm-hmm. But basically we do everything for for, for them. So
0: so for, for for an asset would be a single solar farm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Actually feed in tariff in Japan started 2012. Right. So when we found this company there was no feed in yet and we didn't know how much it's going to be. So basically we were we, there was no business model when we started. We just believed that there will be Opportunity and there will be necessity of renewables. That's it. <laughs> so, after one year, we were like looking for how we can build sustainable renewable business. Mm-hmm. And then the feed in tariff came up.
0: So, did the projects make sense without the feed in tariff? So, I mean, the, for our listeners at home, the feed in tariff is the amount that the utility guarantees they will buy your electricity from you. Yep, yep, yes. So did these projects make sense economically, even without the feed-in tariff? Actually, it it didn't make sense at that time. The
1: system cost was much higher
0: compared to now. You would raise funding for a specific project. You had the expertise in managing the purchasing of the materials and the construction. And then do you also manage the operations of the plant?
1: Yes. So we did the basic everything. And we didn't know that this business model exists around the world. After you know, we started, we found out this is not a like very new business model.
0: Actually, it's very common in every country that has feed-in tariffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but now, like, as you mentioned, the, the costs have come down so much that in a lot of places it makes sense without any kind of subsidy.
1: Yes, that's true.
0: And actually, we'll get into that a bit later, but tell me about your customers yeah. so who who finances this? Are these outside investors? are these individual companies? are these like communities that want renewable energy for the community? Are they power companies? It has changed over the time in the beginning, it was a very small project,
1: so basically it was like a local local companies who wanted it. A new business or who felt sympathized with creating clean energy. Uh, also, we worked, we, we co invest with municipal government also. So, we have a like joint venture with the municipal government in Kumamoto. And as our team gets bigger and with more experience, we could work on the larger projects. And then financial investors, financial partners have changed. We did with uh, like trading houses like Mitsui Corporation. We created a fund with uh, one of the largest real estate fund company in Japan. now we are working a lot with Tokyo Gas. Yeah. If you create the right projects
0: in the world, there are more money. More money than projects. So how do you find the projects? Do your partners bring you the projects or do you actively go out and try to locate sites that would be appropriate? And Yes, we do that.
1: Uh, you know, 20th century, it was like globalization. Mm-hmm. But in 21st century and 27th century, we need how we can localize. Like We commit to the local community. This is one of, I think, the, the reason we could grow with small capital is that we could we had the trust from the community that we were committing to long-term. So that's why we get the land. What, what does that mean, to commit to the local community? You know, basic energy business is very domestic business. You know. mm-hmm. Nobody wants like, people from outside. It's, it's, it's about the land, especially the Japanese. Land is very tied to your family or your like, history. People feel that just selling the, the land for money, I think it, it's... You will have a bad reputation in that community. So how do you, how do you commit to the community? So one is we we have foundation called One Percent for Community, and we basically invest one percent of our revenue to that community. One project is that we made investment in a local entrepreneur who started business and education okay. in that community. So
0: well, I think that is that is interesting because the energy business, in particular, tends to be very extractive. It, it's large local companies yeah. that are often taking resources out of a community. Yeah, yeah. Well, I th- let's talk a bit about renewables yeah. in Japan. Yeah. So there, there are three basic types of renewables that you're involved with, and that I think are important for the future of Japan, which is a solar, wind, mm. and a small-scale hydro. Mm. So, so let, let's talk about each of these. Yeah. A lot of people outside Japan don't realize how big solar energy is in Japan. Mm. In fact, until last year, Japan had the second most solar capacity in the world. Yeah. And the U.S. just barely passed yeah. last year. Yeah. What's been driving this huge rollout for solar energy in Japan? The uh, b- biggest impact was feed-in tariff.
1: I think from now on, it's more like small scale. The price of the generation is going lower than the the energy price from from the grid. So I think that will be the the next driver for the...
0: So for the the mega solar projects, the big solar projects, the the feed-in tariff when we started out was 42 yen per kilowatt hour. And now for residential, it's down to about 26 And for large-scale projects, it's, it's an auction, basically, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So how much has that caused uh, solar deployment and solar development to, to slow in Japan?
1: Yes, I think large-scale, I think the, it will
0: slow down for a moment until solving the, the issue of the grid. Looking forward, now that the, yeah. the end of the feed-in tariff, you know, back in the good old days, yeah. it was 42 yen yeah. per kilowatt yeah. hour. yeah. It it was actually kind of hard to lose money building solar plants in Japan. Mm -hmm. But right now, going forward, what's the real bottleneck? Is it the cost? You mentioned the the permission to connect to the grid. What's the real bottleneck for mega solar projects in Japan now? I think it's the grid connection cost. So you have to pay some
1: amount to utilities uh, for the grid connection. But basically, we cannot control the, 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 the cost so
0: how does that work do the utilities just come in and say after you've built it we're going to charge you this much a month to connect or is
1: it a one-time fee it's a one-time fee and they calculate how to like upgrade their transmissions or their substations it's basically their cost there's no negotiation of the of the cost basically that's uncontrollable
0: is there a, a public formula that says this is how they calculate it, or is it just the utility says this is what you have to pay? Yeah, the, the
1: basically, that's so. I mean, there is a logic behind it, right. of course, but we cannot.
0: Yeah, we can't see that logic from outside.
1: No. It's, it's, it's project by project. So, one, mm-hmm. one project we had, we had a 100 megawatt project. Investment is 100 to maybe 120 million US, and the grid connection cost about 100 million. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Really? Oh, so, so so that's that's makes, crazy. That, that's, uh, we understand the, the logic, but there should be more transparency and the like innovation towards the cost that can be done, but it's impossible for the others to get involved. So,
0: yeah, there. I mean, the deregulation of the energy industry is really exciting in a lot of ways, but transmission, distribution—that's that's a natural monopoly. Mm. You're not going to have competing companies stringing up transmission lines, you know, yeah. two sets of transmission lines. I mean, of course, nobody knows looking from outside, but how much of that cost do you think is these are actual costs, and how much of the cost is just the grid operators don't want to be bothered with all of this extra renewables coming onto the grid?
1: We build our own grid lines to the grid. We, we build like 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers of the grid by ourselves. One time, the utility side offered us, if they build, the cost was three times higher than our cost. So we did by ourselves, negotiating the land with landowners, and the cost was one-third.
0: I mean, it does make sense. It's very reasonable to have to pay the utility for connecting. And, but on the other hand, the utilities need to modernize their grid on their own anyway. Because, you know, the future is a lot more decentralized and yeah. a lot more local generation. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Let's, let's talk about wind. Yeah. Wind energy has been extremely popular in the US and in some areas of Europe, but it, yeah. it hasn't really taken off in Japan. Mm. Why, why do you think that is? There's a less wind in Japan. It's just not a windy country? No, it's a less like stable wind.
1: So we have uh, typhoons and strong wind, but it's like one-time thing. Wind generation, it's better to have a very stable, strong wind. Europe has, I think, more stable, and the, the continent has more stable wind. So we have project in Brazil. They have very good wind. So the generation cost is much lower than the cost in Japan.
0: You guys just completed a wind farm in Karatsu yeah. City, right? In yeah. Saga. Yeah. So at least there are some good sites around.
1: Yes, we, we are looking for the good sites. We think that Karatsu is good, but uh, we definitely have to lower down the cost. That project was feasible because there was feeding in type of wind. Without feeding type, I don't think that we could not install there. So
0: it's kind of a small project. Yeah, it's a
1: very small project. In Japan, it's... The projects are much smaller than the like, US. The land where we can do a big project is limited.
0: Offshore or the... Well, offshore is difficult in Japan as well because the continental shelf drops off really fast. Yeah. So the, how did the project in Karatsu happen? Was it a community-driven project? Or you know, why, why invest so strongly in making a wind project happen when, when solar is simpler and more profitable?
1: Actually, our expertise was more in the wind because we were in the wind industry. And it's very close to our headquarters in Fukuoka. Karatsu City is very uh, focusing on renewables. We find the land and uh, there was big support from the local community, the agricultural organization that we changed the the land usage from the farmland to the, the land which we can install the wind turbines. And uh, we are donating actually 1% of this revenue of the wind turbine to the local agriculture. And we are creating the, the product together. And also financing is very unique. There are three lenders and two of them are from the local lo-
0: local banks. That's great. So so profit was not the main motivation for this particular project.
1: Of course, profit is important, but... Well, you don't want to lose money. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we wanted to create new models, like symbolic project for us and I think for the community and for the local banks so that others who want to start wind business can copy what we're doing.
0: So is the next step for this project, are you are you hoping to take that exact same model and deploy more wind or perhaps solar in other small cities around Japan or are you hoping to grow that wind farm to a couple of more megawatts?
1: Yes, so we are trying to copy that, Uh, not only Japan, around the world, because as the renewables increases, it's it's decentralized energy. So there will be many projects. I think everybody, especially in wind, knows that it's very important to get along with the local community. Mm -hmm. Without that, you cannot develop projects. Mm.
0: and it's it's interesting there's no really like so for example solar is very scalable you can have a large 50 megawatt Mm. solar farm or you can have a little tiny 4 kilowatt system Mm. on the roof of your house Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's no real like tiny 4 kilowatt scale wind generation yet is there yeah so yeah do you think we'll see something like that coming or is there something about wind that just it only works on really large scale
1: the value of solar and wind is different. So I think in solar it's much efficient to make it bigger, and the value of solar is it's a set of solar modules, so you can have any size. So I think that's that's a very different.
0: It's simpler yeah, certainly simpler. planning a project. Yeah, you know the third small-scale hydro, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. So I mean hydro is huge in Japan most of the renewables now are coming from large-scale hydro. Yeah, yeah. But I think every river in Japan already has been dammed at least once or twice. Mm, mm. So where is the new hydro generation coming from? What do we do with these, these new micro turbines? Actually, um,
1: hydro, there's not a big innovation of technology anymore because it's a very established technology. The biggest the difficulty in Japan was rights right to use the water. Some, some river is owned by so many people. But is it, isn't that the problem of just building the dam in the first place? Yeah. 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 It takes too much time to
0: develop projects. That's why it's not growing so much. Some of the hydro plants that are in use today were built like a 100 years ago.
1: Mm.
0: You know, they just run if you keep them maintained. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of new turbines I've been reading about that are, are much smaller. They don't generate as much electricity, but you could use them on smaller dams or in existing dams. Do you think we'll see that deployed in Japan? Maybe in the future. But not yet? In, not yet, because
1: uh, yes, energy is basically it's about the cost. So how can we create a lower cost energy than like coal? if there's a not big demand. Yeah. I think it's very difficult to cost down the turbines.
0: But I think a lot of it might go to what you were talking about before: is that everyone tends to be very short-sighted and yeah. look at the next, you know, the next quarter or the next yeah. year. And you know, hydro generation; these are this will run for a hundred years. Yeah. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's very hard to finance anything based on like a hundred-year mm. lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I think even, you know, small, very small turbines, maybe 50 people have to agree.
0: Oh, even to install a new turbine. Yeah. Ah, okay. So
1: I think the issue is more of this agreement of use usage of the water. It's not owned by, like, municipal government. So, so the, the project we started was this water rights was owned by municipal government. So stakeholders
0: won. Ah, okay. So, so it's a political problem more than a technology or an I economic... Think
1: so. I think so.
0: You know, what about geothermal energy yeah. in Japan? So I think it's, it's a big potential too. I know. I mean, we're, we're sitting on a whole chain of volcanoes. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of geothermal heat. Yeah. I think it's the same issue as uh, hydro. Politics? Politics, Getting yeah. people to agree? Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's in... Uh, National park in some area with in the hot spring. And hot springs also, it's, it's a right
0: to mm-hmm. the to the community. So it's the same as water. And just coordinating, getting all the agreement of 30, 40, 100 different parties is just it's difficult. Impossible. Yeah, <laughs>
1: well, that's one way. Yeah, impossible, <laughs> basically. Getting the agreement from 100 people is impossible. Yeah.
0: That's a shame. Because yeah, hydro and geothermal, especially in Japan, I mean... We're sitting on a string of volcanoes. It's 80% of the country is mountains. Mm. It's perfect for hydro and geothermal. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's, I think, responsibly from our side, but also I think we need to work with the government too. How we can we really commit to solve this energy issue of Japan? Mm-hmm. Because in 10, 20 years, the nuclear cannot be reoperated. I mean... There's a time we need to stop operating, I think at this moment there's no solution
0: yeah, and I, I don't think there I mean turning the nuclear plants back on is one thing, but i don 't think we're going to be building new nuclear yeah. plants in japan i think it's it's very difficult yeah. well so many they 've already set and announced a target for twenty four percent renewables yeah. by two thousand and thirty mm. and right now we 're at about about sixteen yeah so we're not going to be able to put in much new hydro. Uh, large-scale solar is hard because the feed-in tariff has gone away. So how are we going to get to 24% renewable in the next 11 years? We have this uh, the roadmap to 100% renewable.
1: I think the biggest impact will be offshore wind. Really? So
0: that's a necessity in Japan. So, what, what will change? Because before you're saying there's, there's just not many good sites for it. So, what has to change to make offshore wind viable and profitable in Japan? I meant uh, no, there's not
1: many good sites it's onshore because the population density is very high in Japan. So, there's a potential of the offshore if the cost goes down. And I think in solar, I think it's a it's, uh, roof of the buildings. For
0: solar? Yeah. Yeah, the feed-in tariff is still pretty high for rooftop solar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it takes a lot of rooftops to make up for one mega solar project.
1: Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, but I think that's something we have to work on. Yeah. And, you know, geothermal is, of course, important. Hydro is also important. I think, but we we think it's one key technology is offshore wind.
0: Well, that makes sense on the the generation side. Yeah. On the consumption side, I know that Shizen Energy, you guys have been a big promoter of RE100. Yeah. So RE100 are are companies who commit to using 100% renewable energy or buying offsets. Yeah. So RE100 has been pretty popular in America and with European companies, but there are very few Japanese companies that have committed to RE100 yet. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? And how do we change it? <laughs> I think it's a matter of time. I think
1: energy is something you are not, everybody is not familiar with. I think there's not enough information in Japan yet. And if people get to know it, I think it will change.
0: So what are some of the companies that are already 100 Japan? I think, well, I think Sony and house building companies like
1: Dial House, oh, Okay, 63 House. Recall, the, the copying machine company.
0: Right. So, but, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think that environmental awareness is much higher in Japan than in America. Mm. There, there's much higher support for recycling in Japan. People are willing to pay higher taxes to offset environmental costs. Mm. So I'm, I'm surprised that, that RE100 hasn't been more widespread here. That's,
1: yeah, that's true. I think it's, it's just people don't know. I think the executives on, of big companies, I think they need a chance to learn what's going on in the world.
0: Oh, okay. So there, there might be some like, tipping point in the future where if enough Japanese companies start doing it and there's a public awareness of it, there'll be a very rapid adoption. Mm, I think so. Once
1: you know, Japanese companies are good at uh, copying, well, no, once a trend gets going, it, yeah. it tends to happen very quickly,
0: very quickly in Japan. Yeah. I think it's it's a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think we really, renewable energy, we really need to solve it both on the demand side and the generation side. Yeah, yeah.
1: Not only the, 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 the companies, but I think actually responsibility of us to promote to the individual household. N- nowadays, the individual consumers, I think has the strongest negotiation power with the reputation and
0: uh, perception create the brand. Yeah. And if you look at like in America, the companies that adopted RE100, I mean, they did it in response to that exact consumer pressure. Yeah. Yes. And consumers are funny that way. I mean, they won't pay extra directly for renewable energy, Mm. but they will pressure companies to use renewable energy and like indirectly pay extra, and they're very happy doing that. Yes. So, yes. if that's the approach that works. Yeah, because I think energy its about costs. So, Shizen Energy is a Fukuoka company. Yeah. Right? Mm. There's so much innovation going on in Fukuoka. Uh, if you look at the population, mm. a really high percentage of startups are coming out of there. Why do you think that is?
1: One is that Fukuoka city is really committing to support the startups. It's a good, good city. It's not like a huge city. So we have um, maybe 200 people. Probably 30% is from abroad.
0: In, in kind of the startup community there? Uh, no, our, 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 okay. our,
1: our, our company. And we found out that people say that Tokyo is too big as a city. Not so many has, people have experienced living in the city of this size they prefer to go to fukuoka so it's kind of quality of life
0: yeah 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 they have a good good balance but the other thing i've noticed about fukuoka startups and and you guys did this too is that startups in most cities if you look at for example osaka Mm. when a startup starts getting big they'll move to tokyo Mm. but fukuoka startups tend to open like a branch office in tokyo <laughs> and, and keep their headquarters in Fukuoka. Maybe that's because people like Fukuoka and <laughs> they
1: don't want to leave. leave. <laughs>
0: well, that's important,
1: I think. Yeah. yeah I think if it's to Osaka or Nagoya, it doesn't make much difference with Tokyo. Fukuoka or maybe like Sapporo, they have a the different value.
0: But I, I think that kind of sense of place, that sense of community, is really essential in developing a startup community. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tokyo is huge. There, there's a lot of great startups here, but it's almost too big to have a startup community. There, there's a bunch of different startup communities in Tokyo, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. And yeah, like yeah. 20 years ago, I couldn't have imagined that. Yeah. But Fukuoka, there really is. It's small enough that there's a community and yeah. everyone kind of knows each other. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I think so, I think so, yeah.
1: People like to live there. We are very talented people who don't want to work in Tokyo. Because of their parents or their wife, or now people are not sticking to Tokyo, in Japan it's it, everything centralized in Tokyo. So we wanted to create some the new business model to be global from Fukuoka or the you know the local city in Japan.
0: Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be Tokyo. It
1: Doesn't have to be Tokyo. All
0: right, let's let's predict the future here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I think when we're talking about like the future of energy, looking at how energy is being deregulated and broken up today, it, it seems a lot like when the telcos were broken up in the '80s, when they broke up AT and T and NTT, and there was this huge wave of innovation after that 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 no one could have predicted, like in the early '80s. Yeah, I think in energy as well this wave of innovation is, is starting. So, so looking into the future, 10 years, 20 years, how are things going to be different? So I think basically energy is going to be free. Free? Yeah. So so cheap, it's, it's cheaper not to meter it. Mm. So I think business model will not be like kilowatt hour business.
1: There must be like different service. I think that, that's the value of renewables. The business change from fuel business to technology business and marginal cost is zero.
0: That'd be amazing if it happens, but energy, it's its almost like there can never be enough energy. People will always use it if it's there.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think basically it's free and then you, you can use it like any amount you want. I think that's the future.
0: So do, do you think, what what is the main driver for that? Do you think it's just gonna be wind and solar prices are gonna keep dropping the way they have been for the last 10 years or so? Yeah. Yes. I, for example, in, in
1: Europe, there's sometimes energy prices negative.
0: Yeah, in Germany a few times last year. Yeah, so that can happen. Okay, so maybe, maybe it would be like cities and local governments would put up solar panels and wind turbines in the same way they maintain streets today, just as yeah. sort of a public good yeah, yeah, that yeah. everyone uses. Yeah.
1: Like Japan, where infrastructure is, you know, well-developed, it's not a big difference, but I think bigger impact to the, it will be the area where the infrastructure is less developed. You don't need a grid to have energy in that community.
0: Okay. So, so a kind of a series of overlapping microgrids and mini grids. Yeah, yes. So what happens to the big utilities in 20 years? What happens to the TEPCOs and the PG&Es? The role will be different, definitely different. For example, the
1: Skype, I think, was started like 2000, right? And, you know, international calls became free. So I think the same thing will happen in energy. And people forget about it, the big change.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's... Humans are really... We're strange that way. Like, the massive change happens, and then, like, a year later, we think it's always been that way. Yeah. One of the things that I've been most impressed with is, in Japan, how... Interested sort of the, the younger generation is in solving energy problems and solving environmental problems.
1: I believe in a younger generation too. So we are trying to create energy company for millennials. Actually, one of our goal is by 2030, expand into 196 countries. There
0: are many young you know, millennials around the world coming to us. Well, listen, Ken, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand Mm. and I told you that you could change one thing about Japan, Mm. anything at all, the education system, the way people think about the renewable energy, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make things better for startups and innovation in Japan, what would you change? Probably the banks. The banks? What, for, for
1: the startups. What would you change? Rentai hosu, how do you say that? Guarantors. When an entrepreneur tries to start, you know, more capital-intensive business, you need to guarantee as individual to the bank. I did this for a while, like millions of dollars. Our company is big enough that I don't need to do that anymore, but... I think that is a big bottleneck for the entrepreneurs to get a loan.
0: Yeah, that's, that's taking on an incredible amount of personal risk. Yeah, so basically it's limitless. You know. So where, where is that gap? So for startups in Japan, if you want to raise $50,000, $100,000, that's relatively easy. Mm. Where is that range where above this number you need to borrow from a bank? and you need to personally guarantee it, but above this other number, it's okay, your company's big enough, and you can mm. borrow without that guarantee. Yeah. What, what's that range? Actually, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I, I, so, um, maybe not, not only the amount of like, revenue or cash, but maybe it's amount of years. How long do your company exists may have uh, the impact on that. Once you start to get profit, I think there will be more chance to have no, no guarantees.
0: Yeah, that is a big hurdle for a lot of entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah. I think it's changing because of, you know, more venture capital or equity for the startups. But if you rely on too much you know, equity to the outside investors, the, your share will be lo- lower and it will be, there will be more pressure from the investor.
0: Sure, sure. So, I mean, you, you, it reduces your profits, uh, but more importantly, it reduces the amount of control. Control, yeah.
1: So yeah. sometimes you need the debt to keep control.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, and I mean it's really useful to have that as a as a tool to have bank financing. Mm. That's what it's supposed to be for. Mm. Yeah. Do you think the banks are changing their attitudes at all?
1: Yeah, but I think it's changing because Japan population is decreasing. Everybody has to change for for the better future. So. I I hope everyone is (laughs) changing bit by bit. I hope so, too. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, Ken, thanks so much for sitting down with me.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And we're back. The Karatsu Wind Project is a great example of how renewable energy can get rolled out locally. Now, the wind farm itself is quite small, but the generation capacity is not the main point. This project is a template of how renewable energy can be financed, built, and consumed locally. All over the world, the energy industry is becoming more decentralized, more local, and it's largely because of renewables. Let's face it, energy today is not a community-friendly industry. Profits are made by extracting value from communities, whether that extraction is literally taking something out of the ground and leaving the community with an empty hole, or operating coal and nuclear power plants in poorer rural communities due to the risks associated with them. Renewable energy, however, particularly when deployed as it was in Karatsu, has the potential to change that. Energy production becomes something controlled by the community, and that provides most of its value to the community itself. Now, I don't know if we'll ever reach Ken's vision of energy so cheap that it's free, but communities being able to plan for and profit from their own energy planning? Yeah, yeah, that could happen. Maybe not in unlimited amounts, but I could certainly see a city deciding to make sure that Everyone had enough free energy to ensure that no one was too cold in the winter or that no one was too hot in the summer. The business model of the energy industry has been fundamentally unchanged for several hundred years, so it's hard to imagine it being any other way. But things are changing, even in Japan. I'm involved with green tech labs in Japan. It's a program funded by Japanese energy utilities to encourage innovation and energy startups here in Japan. If you're part of the energy and environmental startup scene in Japan, or if you want to connect with them, send me an email and I'll put you in touch. Anyway, Green Tech Labs ran a Startup Weekend workshop where participants worked over three days to develop new business models in energy. Participants range from middle school students to people in their 50s, and the winning team was led by two high school students. Things are changing. The energy industry does not lend itself well to startup-style disruption. But disruption is coming. It might not come with the bravado, swagger, and IPO billions that we've come to expect from tech startups. It might be a quiet revolution but it will be transformative. If you want to talk about energy and renewables, Ken and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 140 and talk to us. If you ask a question at the site, I guarantee you I'll respond. And my guests have a pretty good track record in answering as well. If you get the chance, uh, check us out on LinkedIn or Facebook, but you know, even better... If you like the show, tell people about it. Disrupting Japan has grown not by social media marketing or advertising, but because listeners like you enjoy it, and they tell their friends about it. But most of all, thanks for listening, and thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups and innovation know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.